0: Hey, everybody. What you are about to listen to is an episode of Am I Dying? Here at Offscript, we've taken the Am I Dying show, put a twist on it, and created the new Is It Serious podcast with Dr. Mark Lewis and Dr. Jean-Luc Neptune. Think of it this way. The Am I Dying docs discuss lots of symptoms, while the Is It Serious docs answer lots of questions. And all of the episodes are here on this feed for your listening pleasure. For new episodes, don't forget to subscribe, and thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Chris Kelly.
1: And I'm Dr. Mark Eisenberg.
0: And we're here to answer the age-old question, am I dying? Okay, today we are going to be talking about medical myths. A favorite topic of mine because I feel like I'm constantly getting phone calls being asked to debunk a certain myth. Somebody says, well, you know, I heard that I should be doing this or, you know, if I have that, I should be doing this. And it's always interesting just to hear how these things perpetuate themselves in popular culture. Mark, do do you feel like you're hearing a lot about medical myths all the time from people?
1: Oh, of course. Well, we'd like to welcome our listeners. Thank you for joining us today. But yeah, it's all old, you know, grandma's like myths that you should like, you know, you're going to catch a cold if you don't wear a jacket outdoors or drink six glasses of water a day. So the question is how accurate were our grandmothers? uh, It's so nice
0: that you welcomed everyone, by the way. You're probably the kind of person who always looks up and says hi when someone walks into a room.
1: Yeah, usually, even if they have a gun.
0: (laughs) Okay, not even going to explore that. Um, Okay, yeah, so I think you mentioned two good myths right there. So, So let's try to make it through five or six myths on this show. We'll go through the ones that we hear about the most often. Go through whether there's any science behind those myths, whether there's anything really there, even a kernel of truth. Uh-huh. Uh, whether it's something people need to worry about, but you so know, just... a lot of,
1: but a lot of things probably have been years of experience, and people, you know, people, they've they've thought it works out properly. But again, it goes to show that if you don't have clear, like double-blind, placebo-controlled studies, you really never know an answer to something,
0: right? And, and just because something has been believed to be true for a long time does not make it so.
1: Yeah. I mean, even in, when we were in training, there were certain medications that were used for certain disorders. And then years later, there were actually real studies that showed that, that sometimes patients did worse on these medications.
0: So, yeah. It's funny. I'm, I'm right now, you know, I have young, younger kids, uh, grade school kids, and we're reading about Greek mythology together. And we've talked about how people sort of concoct these stories to explain the universe as they see it. And it's interesting because I think a lot of myths about medicine are similar, that people have perpetuated these through the generations because it just makes logical sense to them, even if it's not
1: Exactly. But I mean, some people, you know, there's also the placebo effect, right? So if you give somebody a sugar pill, a placebo, what is it, a 14% likelihood they're going to feel like a certain way?
0: I've only prescribed placebos. Actually, in my entire <laughs> career, it works out fine. Okay, so let's start uh, with our myth number one. Uh, I think you mentioned a good myth that we should start with. Does cold weather actually make you sick? Will go out? Will going outside underdressed for the cold weather or the wet weather result in you catching an actual cold?
1: Yeah, and the answer is no. However. There's some caveats with that, right? So, yes, being cold, and I think they've even done studies where they've taken people and put them in, like, cold bathtubs inside or outside and compared them to, like, people who were normal indoor temperatures and found that there was no increased risk of catching anything, right? But, but... The truth is certain virus, well, it goes both ways. Certain viruses actually do better outside. So the likelihood of catching a virus might be not because you're not wearing a jacket, but because it actually can thrive in colder weather, right?
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that we've all seen with coronavirus recently uh, that it lasts much longer on surfaces when it's not sunny and the weather's cooler. The, The bright, intense sunlight and heat actually can help dissipate viruses more quickly off of surfaces and yeah. reduce how far the viruses can travel in the air. Exactly. The cold weather is definitely good for viruses trying to spread.
1: So again, not wearing a jacket outside and just wearing a t-shirt is not going to predispose you anymore to catching that virus. But- The other option thing is sometimes being indoors can predispose you to catching a cold because they're more crowded. There's less air that's being circulated, so some bacteria and viruses actually do better indoors, right?
0: Yeah, I'm certainly. I think everyone has learned that lesson the hard way over the last few months, too. Uh, Obviously, with our coronavirus experience, we've seen that being indoors, yeah, yeah, indoor dining, indoor singing, uh, anything that basically involves air particles and spit being you know, thrown from the mouth long distances would uh, greatly increase the risk of uh, yeah. spreading and contracting viruses.
1: Gotcha. So, you know, the next thing is, Chris, do you drink eight glasses of water a day like your grandmother told you to?
0: I drink at least 25, as a matter <laughs> of fact. Uh, and <laughs> I have to G- pee. You have gills, every, though, right? Every 30 minutes I have to go excuse myself to urinate. Yeah.
1: So do drinking six to eight glasses of water a day, is it useful?
0: You know, this is just classic water lobbyists coming at you like they have been for decades, right? Yeah. They, big water, mean, right? Big water. Big water. <laughs> <laughs> big water, always doing what's good for business. Um, yeah, so that's that's our second myth. Does uh, Is it necessary for your health to drink eight glasses of water per day? And I think, obviously, we've already answered that one. The answer is no. No, just drink if you're thirsty. And, you know,
1: they also found that even the caffeine, like coffee and other things and, you know, cereal with milk, all that other stuff hydrates you also. So again, drink if you're thirsty. Um, it turns out that some people, if they're drinking too many glasses of water a day, could actually put themselves at increased risk of having problems, right?
0: Right. Well, in addition to having to pee a lot uh, if you drink too much water, it, it is possible actually that you consume so much water that your kidneys can't keep up. Your body has to keep certain electrolytes in in very close balance sodium for example is an electrolyte that is in your blood and has to be kept in a very tight concentration range for your cells to function properly and part of the job of your kidneys is to actually uh, get rid of water in the urine to maintain that accurate concentration of sodium and if you drink a ton of water really quickly you, you know your intestines will reabsorb it and it actually can overwhelm your kidneys ability to get rid of water and you can drop your sodium concentration and have a seizure and even die
1: Yeah. So normal sodium concentrations are like 136 to 140. You know, once you hit below 128, you could actually have seizures. And we've seen people in the hospital with as low as like 110, 118. And basically they're in the ICU. Uh, And there's this term, which is interesting. Hyponatremia means low sodium, but there's something called psychogenic polydipsia. Do you want to tell everyone what that
0: is? I think that just means when you compulsively drink a lot of water.
1: Exactly. Some people just, the reason why their sodium was lower is not that there was a tumor in their head causing a secretion of a hormone that's responsible, but they were just drinking so much water that they put themselves in such bad shape.
0: Mark, does the phrase hold your we for a we mean anything to you at all?
1: No, sounds sexual to me, honestly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So this is a very interesting little news tidbit that I recall from over a decade ago at this point, but basically there was a radio show, uh, much like ours, very funny, uh, and they were having a competition. They were giving away a Nintendo Wii, and they had this contest, Hold Your Wii for a Wii. And basically, they had these people in the studio drinking tons of water, and whoever could go the longest without peeing won the Wii. Unfortunately, one of the contestants drank so much water that she died later that day because she had low sodium levels and had a seizure and died at her home.
1: That poor thing.
0: Yeah. So awful, awful story and really a dramatic uh, example of how drinking too much water can actually be a bad thing. And it's also Mark. The, now, now yeah. they're going to like not drink any water at all. And everyone's going to come and dehydrate. Them.
1: It's also an example of how you shouldn't trust your coworkers. Maybe they, <laughs> they were trying to get a promotion. Um, no. So definitely if you're thirsty drink, there's really no right or wrong, but don't go out of your way to like stay home in the morning and drink six glasses. So you're quote unquote in good shape. Just drink when you're thirsty.
0: All right, Mark, I've got another myth for you. Here's one that I love. It's very personal to me. Is cracking your knuckles bad for you?
1: So everyone said yes, and it's going to cause arthritis later in life, but it's never been shown, has it? Nope. I'm going to do it right now
0: into the microphone. Um, I I love cracking my knuckles. Uh, I think it feels great, and it has has never been shown to cause arthritis. In fact, there's a great research study that was published, again, some time ago where a physician, as a N of one experiment, (laughs) cracked the knuckles on one hand for like decades and never cracked the knuckles on the other hand. And his hands were exactly the same at the end toward the end of his life. So, so an
1: n of one just means one person in that study for anyone who isn't a science major. That's not enough people for a study, to be honest.
0: No, but I, that's one of the more interesting studies I've ever heard of. Um, so, you know, I don't think people actually even have a totally clear idea of what causes that sound. I think it's like air cavitation bubbles in the joint from negative pressure. Why
1: do you even have to do that? Did you like put your nails in the chalkboard when you were younger too?
0: (laughs) No, but I just love it. And it's funny. I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan, but there's a whole episode about, you know, how George and Jerry are debating whether pianists do anything backstage to prepare for performances. And it's like this whole thing, George is dating the pianist. And at the end, it turns out she just cracks her knuckles for two seconds and that's all.
1: Oh. Um. You know, you actually said something two myths ago that was interesting too about the wee thing, whatever that was. But anyway, can your bladder explode if you don't pee in time? Like if you're at a movie theater and you decide not to pee, can your bladder explode and you end up in the hospital? Um, And for anyone who's read our book, thank you. Am I dying? A complete guide to your symptoms and what to do next. We actually have a whole page on this, don't we?
0: Amazing that we could spend an entire page talking about exploding bladders, but yes, it's in there. And the answer is no, probably not. What do you mean? Probably not. It won't. Definitely not. Although there is a caveat. So your, again, your body is not stupid it knows when bad things are about to happen and your bladder will involuntarily empty itself long before it reaches a point where it's going to explode. I mean, you know, if, if you put a metal clip on your penis and blocked all blood, all urine flow through the penis and just kept filling the bladder, filling, filling, filling. Yeah. Maybe eventually you would run into some serious problems, but short of that, it's not going to blow. You're, you're going to reach a point where you involuntarily pee yourself long before your bladder is damaged.
1: I have two things to add or to apply. <laughs> One, that you're talking about clips on penis. I really am <laughs> questioning your hobbies. And two, what about our I female- I didn't
0: recommend it. I didn't recommend it. It's just a science experiment.
1: What about our female li- listeners? I feel like this is white male hegemony. W-
0: where did I say anything about white?
1: Okay, so male hegemony. I just assumed if you don't pay attention to our female viewers-
0: Well, there's nowhere more. obvious for them to put a clip. Uh, but anyway- Enough about that. I did say that there was a caveat. One caveat is that bladder ruptures can occur. Mark, were you paying attention in medical school? Do you remember a scenario in which bladder rupture can occur?
1: Oh sorry. What what was that?
0: Um, Mark was just doing, I think what he did through most of (laughs) meds. You got that one.
1: Okay. So no, I don't remember that. When can it go? If someone stabs you in a knife in the abdomen and it
0: hits your bladder. Okay, Yeah. Right. If somebody stabs you in the bladder, obviously that's going to damage the bladder, but no, the scenario that happens is if you have a very full bladder and you are in a car accident with a seatbelt, a sudden surge of energy into your lower pelvis from the lap belt on a full bladder can rupture. The ceiling of the bladder. Okay. But that's, um,
1: that's equivalent to like the knife going into it. It's basically a blunt trauma, right?
0: Well, no. A knife is not a blunt trauma. No, 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 no. no I'm, a just, right saying, I'm just saying it's, it's a not burst like. Of energy that but the question was whether
1: if you don't go to the bathroom with your bladder will explode at one time. But that's just, that's trauma to an area that you can't control.
0: Well, it won't explode unless you get into a car accident. By the way, it's because really you're true. so obsessed with your full bladder that you're not looking at the road. That's you're true. looking for a rest stop.
1: That's pretty scary, come to think of it. But likely, if you rupture your bladder from that, you're also screwing up your spleen and other stuff in the area, don't you think?
0: It might not be your biggest problem.
1: No. Anyway, we have to take a break right now, but we're talking about biggest medical myths. We'll be back with many more.
0: All this talk about urine, I know what I'm going to do during the break. (laughs) We'll be right back. I'm going
1: for drinks.
0: All right, welcome back. We are talking about the biggest medical myths and we are pretty much debunking all of them one at a time. Uh, we talked about, let's see, getting a cold because it's cold outside. Wrong. We talked about needing to drink eight glasses of water per day. Wrong. We talked about your bladder exploding if you hold it in and don't pee. Wrong. Did I miss anything? No, I think you got it all. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, cold, cold weather predisposing you to catching if you don't wear a coat outdoors.
0: That was the first thing I said, just like med school. Sorry, I
1: was was drinking my six glasses of water. And you know, sometimes when you drink, you can't hear, right?
0: I got another one for you. And this is quite apropos of our relationship. Will stress give you a stomach ulcer? (laughs) I assure you, I would have no stomach left if that were true after doing these podcasts with you.
1: I think in a roundabout way, yes, but I know you're going to say that's a myth.
0: It's a myth. It's wrong. It's how, false. Do they, how do they know that? Science. Do you have a study to, to to tell me? Well, what is the most common cause of a stomach ulcer, Mark?
1: Well, too much hydrochloric acid in your stomach from you know
0: different you know different, oh my God. different things you do. You don't even get partial credit for that answer. The most common cause of a stomach ulcer is bacteria in the stomach called H. pylori. Well,
1: I agree with that, but I'm just saying there's other stuff that go on at the same time with the
0: acid and all the other stuff. Well, yes. The most proximate cause of the stomach ulcer is acid damaging the lining of the stomach. But the reason that that happens for most people is H. pylori infection. It's a bacterial infection in your stomach and it predisposes to ulcer formation. And And it's- Yes, stomach cancer. It can be contagious. It can be diagnosed with a variety of different things, including um, a breath test, where basically they can measure certain gases in your breath and determine if you're likely to have H. pylori. They can check for it in your stool. Uh, They can also, uh, if you have an endoscopy that's sticking a camera down your throat into your stomach, looking around for ulcers, they can take a biopsy of an ulcerated area, and they can actually visualize the bacteria in the biopsy. -hmm. So, if you have a stomach ulcer and you're found to have H. pylori, as many do, uh, in addition to taking acid medications, you actually take antibiotics to eliminate the bacteria.
1: Yeah, which uh, which used to be be very hard. They used to be pretty hard for a lot of people. The antibiotics were pretty strong with side effects.
0: Other things that can cause ulcers.
1: Yeah, like smoking, you know, um, just uh, too much caffeine, you know, stuff like that. People sometimes have while they're feeling stress. So, in that sense, a roundabout way stress can cause.
0: Yeah. I mean, the next common thing is NSAIDs, medications like ibuprofen, Motrin, naproxen. Yeah. yeah, even high doses of aspirin. Those cause stomach ulcers too by affecting basically something called prostaglandin synthesis, which affects uh, how the body makes different chemicals in the stomach. And essentially it can increase the susceptibility to acid. Gotcha. Uh, and so, yeah, so if you're stressed out and you're having a lot of headaches because you're so stressed and you're taking a lot of ibuprofen, then that could cause uh, you'd have a stomach ulcer. You know, if you're critically ill in the ICU and, and just, you know, stress in the most extreme sense of the world, that that can also cause a stomach ulcer. But the kind of stress that we think about, like in our everyday lives, just being busy with your job, that's It's not really very likely to be a cause of a stomach
1: What you're trying to also add is having spicy foods and stuff like that does not cause stomach ulcers. It could cause reflux. So a lot of this stuff can cause reflux, but to the average person, you know, do they care if they have an ulcer or reflux? They can feel equally horrible, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, the treatments are different, but they can both feel pretty bad. Mm -hmm. I have one for you.
1: Does chicken chicken soup cure the common cold?
0: You mean Jewish penicillin? <laughs> well, it's it's called Jewish penicillin for a reason. It, uh, Mark, did you grow up getting hot steaming bowls of chicken soup from Mama Eisenberg? Are you going to say matzo on? ball
1: soup? But I, Actually, I think there's no study that's proven that to be true. They just think that possibly it keeps you well hydrated, right? And the salt in it also makes sure you don't get dehydrated, correct?
0: So oddly enough, I am something of an expert on this topic. I once because uh, you're Jewish. I once paid a visit uh, to our friend, Dr. Oz, on his show, and we did a little segment about chicken soup and the cold, and uh, it turns out, well, two things. Number one, there's a lot of, if consumed properly under the right circumstances, a lot of warm vapors coming off of the surface of the soup, which can kind of help, you know, aerate you a little bit and loosen some of your mucus, it's a great, great thing. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, having like vitamin C rich things and other good stuff in the soup can help. Really nothing's ever
1: been What vitamin C in the soup? I don't know, if you squeeze like a little lemon in it or something. Most people don't.
0: I don't know, Mark.
1: But the truth is, it is still good to have. But the question is, according to this, you could just have miso soup or any other type of soup. No, yeah, I think it's a myth. There's nothing in the bone marrow that people thought could possibly help,
0: right? I don't think so, no. But it's still good.
1: I know. I'm having some now, and I'm not even sick. Um, <laughs> anyway, how, should we get into like some pediatric stuff, or is this too...
0: Uh... No, I don't talk about pediatrics. That's beyond my license. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, but I do have one for you. This is actually one of my favorite myths. And since we're on the topic of foods, uh, this one was quite apropos. Do carrots help your vision? Well, they have
1: vitamin A. Everybody knows that. And vitamin A is good for your vision, or the lack of vitamin A is bad for your vision. Put it that way.
0: Correct. So are carrots in particular? Do you have the carrots to see well?
1: No, because you probably can get enough vitamin A from other ways.
0: Yeah, you get vitamin A all all over your diet if you have a healthy, balanced diet. Interestingly enough, the relationship between vision and carrots is said to have originated during World War II. Mm. And so the folklore goes, and this may itself be a myth, uh, the folklore says that uh, British fighter pilots were shooting down Nazi aircraft using radar, which was relatively new at that point, uh, but they didn't want the Germans to know about their technology, and so they just alleged that they could see the airplanes at night so well because they were eating so many carrots, which were growing in some abundance in the United Kingdom at that point. Oh. And so there, this led to this myth that eating carrots led to amazing night vision.
1: Can't you become toxic on too many carrots? Probably. Yeah, you can. There is, there's a whole syndrome, I thought.
0: Is there a Bugs Bunny episode about this? <laughs> anyway, th- that story may itself be a myth, but it gets pos- uh, passed around, and it's, it's uh, one possible explanation for this carrot vision link uh, in our popular culture. But uh, as for whether carrots themselves are essential for vision, I mean, there's nothing wrong with eating carrots, and I certainly recommend doing it, but you don't need to go out of your way. I don't know why I'm thinking scurvy at the
1: moment, but if any of you ever think you have scurvy out there.
0: Yeah. And you know? then eating a carrot will not help you because scurvy is- No, vitamin but C, having a bunch C. of oranges or lemons will cure you. That is right. And that's why pirates would get scurvy, are, because when you're on a boat for months, you know, usually lemons and limes aren't exactly like durable rations that you keep by the crate load in the hull of your pirate ship. But they were on the carnival cruise you were on. <laughs> so so they wouldn't have any vitamin c in their diet and they would start getting ricket or not rickets they would get scurvy their teeth would fall out okay one more myth sure you got one or you want me to throw one up
1: well i can get one unless you want one why don't you go
0: um i'm trying to think of what my favorite last myth. okay i got one for you ready
1: i was ready like four minutes ago
0: Can people with dark skin get away with not wearing suntan lotion?
1: Absolutely not. Thank you. And people who have darker skin should be offended when other people tell them, oh, you don't need sunblock. Of course, they can still develop melanoma and skin cancers. You know, they have the same melanin uh, risk of having cancers also, right?
0: Not only that, um, first of all, the extra pigment in the skin maybe provides marginal Slight protection from the sun, but not to the point that you don't need sunscreen. The problem, too, is that it may be harder or slower to notice pigmented lesions and heavily pigmented skin uh, because they don't stand out quite as much. And so if you do develop a skin cancer, it may take longer to notice it.
1: Look, everyone should be wearing sunblock. I mean, yes, if you're in the summer at the pool or a beach or running around outside of the park, but even in the winter, you know, there's nothing wrong putting a little sunblock on your face, right? Because you could still, you know, cause some damage.
0: Yeah. I mean, in general, you should put sunscreen on your face every day. I easily go months on end with barely any time outside in my life as a doctor, sadly. But for people who do have time outside, I would strongly recommend wearing sunscreen. But that can explain some of your wrinkles, don't you think? no i'm never exposed to the sun i have no wrinkles i look 15 years old (laughs) anyway everyone thank
1: you for joining us today we talked about medical myths and uh we really appreciate you listening
0: if you like the show be sure to subscribe leave a review follow us on social and tell all your friends to listen am i dying is a production of off script media our executive producer is matthew zachary andrew mcdowell is our senior producer Darren Tan is our production intern. Am I Dying is recorded, mixed, and edited by Ariel Nachman. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments and feedback. For more information, visit offscript.com.